calling out the myths, misinformation, and BS in the wellness industry. This is the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. Here's your host, holistic pharmacist, supplement expert, Big Mouth, Dr. Neil Smoller. Broadcasting from the most famous small town in the world, this is the podcast that pulls back the curtain on the Well, the supplement industry is what I'm saying, but I'm thinking that I should say the whole health and wellness industry, the health industries are making us sicker, our vitamins are lying to us, and I think that there's a better way, a new path, and uh, if you're listening, you're on that path, and you didn't even know it. This is episode 74 today. We're going to do our COVID coverage. I'm here with Dana. She's going to give her opinion on some important topics. It's what I do. And then, of course, like I'm struggling with my blood pressure if you haven't been following along, and so uh, I'm on a new nutrition regimen, so we'll we'll cover that. But today I've got a guest again. Thank goodness. Do guests make me happy? Um, yeah. We're we're talking pharmacy talk today. My guest is Benjamin Jolly. He's a young, smart-ass pharmacist who specializes in what's called DIR fee education. Mm. And so he doesn't educate consumers. He educates other practitioners and he does consultations with them to help them get some insight to these crazy, crazy things. And I guess the long and the short of it, since this is just a teaser anyway, pharmacies and especially small ones like mine are getting screwed over by our current Medicare laws, uh, like to a jaw dropping degree. So for example, if I have a drug and it costs maybe a buck, right? $1 for the pills. Um, the insurance company might say, we're going to pay you a dollar fifty, And that's not an exaggeration. This actually happens like 90% of the time. So I get paid 50 cents over the cost of the drug. I make 50 cents on that transaction, right? Mm-hmm. There is this new thing called the DIR fee where that person's plan will then take back $9 from me in the future. Even though the drug itself only costs about $1.50, they'll take back $9. They take off $8.75 from each every claim. So it makes way more sense for us to not even like I could literally just give the patient the pills for free and lose less money. Yeah, my head is about to explode. I can't even find the logic in that. That's Did your robbery. jaw drop? It, it was jaw dropping, right? That was a good yeah, analogy. Yeah. It yeah, was. it's it's absolutely horrible. Um, That's unconscionable. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. I I think it's important that anybody that interacts with pharmacies understand how we practitioners aren't getting paid for our services and like the crazy behind the scenes stuff that's going on. So DIR fees are a big part of it. A lot of people have no idea what it is. So I feel like over the next like couple months, what we'll do is we'll bring on a couple people to talk about the cost of drugs and stuff like that, just so you can understand. Because again, I believe it's not just the supplement industry that's screwing us over. It's the entire health industry, wellness and supplements and conventional medicine. Um, So yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. So more more on that later. So before we get started, I just want to Remind everyone out there, if you're listening, that a review would be super nice. Uh, Please go to your podcasting platform of choice and give us five stars. Leave some kind words. And as you can tell, last week I read a review because I was just so flabbergasted with how how nice it was. So um, also sign up for my widely read blog at woodstockvitamins.com slash sign up. This week's article was just released and we talk about the new normal and what that really, really means. What does that mean? I don't know what it means. I said there's not one new normal. Little spoiler. There's yeah. multiple new normals. There's this new normal that we're dealing with with all these batch conspiracy videos. <laughs> what is going on? Because all right, it's time to talk about COVID. Uh, 
deaths are on the rise and we're crossing the 1000 per day threshold for a few days in a row now. Right. Yeah. Uh, now we have famous people dying. Herman Cain just passed away this morning. Mm, we hardly knew ye. <laughs> the turning point point USA guy. Did you hear about this? Oh, I did not. Yeah. So he was one of the co-founders of turning point USA, which doesn't deserve any attention in my opinion. I think they just dramatize and like they put spin on, on things in the wrong direction. Yeah. We don't want spin either way, either color. I want the facts. I want news. I want objective data and then, and words out of people's mouths and voting records. That's what I want to hear. I don't want to hear spin. But anyway, so they were a big anti-mask group. In fact, they've taken down a lot of their anti-mask stuff because the one dude just died. And Herman Cain, of course, (laughs) Herman Cain's a doctor, isn't he? I I think he was. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a like, what's up with these doctors that are like, let's reject everything that I, I can't say enough how much of a pain in the butt going to school was literally the six years of college was the longest Mm. six years of my life. And I was drinking most of the time and partying (laughs) and doing all the college stuff, but it was the longest period of my life. Literally the six years after college just blinked away. I'm out of school now, almost, uh, I graduated in 2004. Oh my God. So that's a long, long time ago. That seems like ancient. Um, so I've been out of school for 16 years now and I can tell you how much work and toil and trouble and stress and how like it shaped who I am. And, and I'm not a doctor. Like these guys go to school for 13 freaking years or more. And then they're like, you know what? I want to get political points or I want to get, you know, favors with this team. And I'm going to like completely reject all of that stuff. So this well, I- it's like that picture of Ben Carson where mm-hmm. just his mouth was cut. Co- he was wearing a mask, but just his mouth was covered and his nose was hanging out. Yeah. And I posted it on Facebook. I was like, Ben, what happened to you? Yeah. I don't know who that get was he on a TV show? Ben Carson? Yeah. The no, he's a, a neurosurgeon who is He's a neurosurgeon? You know who Ben Carson is. Well, I know that he's a political yeah. guy. So I just ignore him. Oh. <laughs> so but I had no idea that he was a neurosurgeon. Yeah, I mean forgive me if I'm mistaking what his doctorate was in, but I am mm-hmm. 90% certain that he was a neurosurgeon, and that's been the big like confounding issue for most you know, most of us who are like, well, how is a neurosurgeon? First of all, why is he in charge of housing and development? Um, but also, how how can anyone who went to medical school be, you know, not wearing a mask properly, not, you know, calling this a, a hoax or whatever? Like- so much of medical programming, right? So nursing, dental hygienists, like everybody has to get that training and of course doctors probably to the highest degree of like what's what's real what's the best information right and it is a true like bastardization or like a rejection or or like an insult that these people are like then rejecting it to further their like popularity or or attention or political goal it, it's it's truly disgusting to me to think about the fact that this dude went through medical school and now is, is like wearing a mask off his face. Cause I have seen posts where he's talking about how the science isn't real around it and everything. And it's just, it, it just, again, it's mind blowing how, how this gets that way. Michigan medical school and Yale. The man went to Yale. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I've, yeah. <laughs> I just, it's just, there's a lot. And so no wonder why people's trust, uh, alarms their like uh, radar for trust is is broken because a neurosurgeon speaking on something 
should be enough. Like, you know, in the, in the fifties or sixties, if a neurosurgeon said something, you'd be like, oh man, that dude is, or gal is super educated. Right. And I should really respect that person's opinion. And now it's like, Hey, the neurosurgeon says that we need semen, demon semen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, on that conspiracy video, I'm actually going to be doing something very fun. So another pharmacist friend of mine that has a podcast, we're doing lots of pharmacy nerd stuff here. Mm. He wants to do like a teardown of the thing. And he's basically going to be the straight man and I'm going to be Dangerfield. I'm just going to go nuts on it. And uh, because I don't think it deserves a teardown. I just believe it deserves to be made fun of. And people that believe it need deserve to be made fun of. None of the Mr. Nice Guy stuff. Like, do not tell me that you think that it's real, right? So we're going to do an episode together. So I'm going to go on his podcast. He's going to go on my podcast and we're going to talk about it. So that'll be next week's video. Okay. And uh, just to clarify, I looked it up. I'm not seeing a doctorate for Herman Cain, but he did get a master's in computer science. So oh, okay. still, still well So he's educated. not a doctor. Yeah. No, but I no. mean, he went to college. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway. Should have known better than to go, first of all, than even to go to the Tulsa rally. And, and that's where he got not it. to wear a mask. Yeah. He got it at a rally. And, and like was flaunting the idea that they didn't have to be masked. And so unfortunate. I don't care what you say about the dude's political stuff or if you hate him or you love him. Like so unfortunate that at 70, he's probably got family and kids and stuff like grandkids. that. Grandkids. Like, he was 74. What's up with that? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. So sorry to hear, but uh, like, can we, can we not make this the hill you literally die on? Like, what is going on with everybody? But back to demon semen lady. This is very important. Uh, so there, <laughs> I just love that it rhymes. <laughs> I know. Uh, it's And I don't know if you saw my little Facebook post, but in here in the Adirondacks, there's a Six Flags theme park called Great Escape. It was like an uh, like a family-owned place that they mm. got bought out. And the roller coaster that you see is this like little simple roller coaster that everybody, when you're 12, is like, oh, I'm going to go on it. Uh, it's the Steam and Demon. Yeah, and I I'm think like, that was my first roller coaster. <laughs> right, yeah, it should be. And so, so I was like, did somebody say steam and demon or demon semen? Like what is going on here? So, um, so anyway, the, this lady, I, I, I won't watch the video. I won't pay attention to it because I believe it's not even a real video. I believe it's like a disinformation campaign. I, there's no physical way that, uh, in, in that short amount of time, they can accrue so many views. I I don't think that the virality, I I think there's a math formula Mm -hmm. and I believe unless it's been manipulated to a high degree, you can't get natural virality that fast. So it seems to me that this was a, an active campaign to amplify this message to sow dissent. That's a good point. You know, that's, and so spoiler for my, my piece on it next week. (laughs) So, um, so I don't know. And so this, so she was a doctor on the video. Is that what the deal was? This, this Yeah, she well, I, I also didn't watch it either. I did see some clips from it, mm-hmm. but she was she appeared to be leading the I don't know if you want to call it a rep. Yeah, mm-hmm. there you go. Conversation. Right. Um, although something came out today about how there is no evidence that any of the doctors featured in the video are doctors. Ever, well, <laughs> I, I didn't see that part, but the, the headline that I saw, cause, uh, you know, you guys know, I only read headlines yes. is that, uh, there's no evidence that they were on the front line of COVID like whether or not they're doctors. Of course not. Yeah, yeah. I think like they got their, their, uh, lab coats at like party city, you know, yeah. like <laughs> that's what my buddy said, Rich. Good, good joke, Rich. So, um, but basically the, <laughs> she says that gynecological issues are the result of having sex dreams with succubi and incubi and receiving demon sperm. Like, and there's more, um, and the president of the United States supports 
her and her conclusions. Mm. So it's a real problem. It's a real problem. And what I'll say, because we're having lots of fun fun here, you know, uh, is this is really this trust threshold thing. Okay. There are way too many people that are like, well, you got to hear both sides. Mm. And so I kind of want to take issue with that. So I talk about the trust threshold. What is your line where you say, hey, I trust this person or this is the offense that makes me not trust this person? And are you applying that in a non-hypocritical matter? Or are you really, are you really just like selecting based on what fits your narrative? So essentially the thought process is I can't trust the system and I need truths and I need secrets, right? I need to find the real answer because we've been lied to so much. And eventually the truth, you know, it came out, it was out there, but you know, it was, it was suppressed or hidden. Right. And all along there was like that one person or group of people that were hip to what was really going on. And in retrospect, we should have listened to them. Right. And so that's where these people are. The people that believe these conspiracy videos, a part of them are in that kind of mindset. The system's broken. I've got lots of evidence of that being true. And I, I want to find the real truth and I want to be kind of like hip to it before everybody else. And so with those sentiments, like the idea of, I can't trust the system, uh, nobody's going to empathize more than me. I get screwed over from the medical side. And then I'm an active component of trying to make the wellness side better, more responsible with product quality and product advice. Right? So I know that there are corrupt systems at play and one more com- Component to that is like this idea that I'm not going to trust the system because of the corruption and this four mega profit mentality, right? Crazy capitalism gone wild, right? And and so people don't trust the system because everybody's just trying to get money. And I totally, totally support you, right? But the leap is that we're going to just trust some Joe Schmo, essentially like, I don't know, uh, alien sex lady, right? Uh <laughs> some YouTube video doctors, right? That's who we're going to trust without applying that same rule set to those people, right? So what's their ax to grind? What are the potential reasons that this video would have been made? What are the potential reasons that it would have been uh, amplified or made popular? What are the people that are in the video have to gain from this stuff? Are they even real, right? So my example, people poop on the CDC all the time, especially when it's vaccine time, right? They're corrupt and they can't be trusted. And I'm, I'm going to say like, that's not 100% true at all, right? We can talk about how any group of people three deep will start to have corrupt stuff. There's firehouse in, in this community we like had embezzlement going on. And I remember we were, we were playing volleyball in like the, the fat old parent league. Right. And, uh, we had, we had to like, we had to like pay our referees directly because the guy that was taking the money for the referees was embezzling that. And it was like $90,000 or something like that. So groups of people, yeah, can get a little wacky, a little Mm. corrupt. Right. So, um, I'm 100% saying that it's true that organizations get corrupt, but I'm not saying that the CDC can't be trusted because of some of the weaknesses that they've shown right? So it's made up of people. And for the most part, that organization is a lot of people really committed to their lives work, right? Mm -hmm. So, so am I going to be hypocritical and say that boo to the CDC and then yes to some blogger, some charlatan, some, some other person who clearly has an economical motive, right? Some, some clear financial incentive to, to say the things that they're saying. 
Oh, they're not selling me anything. Well, they're trying to change your mind. They're tra- In this economy, it's an attention economy. If you spend your attention on somebody, it's actually better than money most of the time. Yeah. So, Because uh, the trust is what they really want. They want your attention, they want your trust, and then eventually they'll get some profit one way or another. So so when you're trying to go through this stuff, like I, I, I know that this is in a gross exaggeration of it, and we've talked about the conspiracy videos, but I think there are three vectors that we need to look at. So- What's the potential bias of this group, right? What are the financial ties? Because that's a strong sense of bias that needs to be kind of pulled out by by itself. And then what's the quality of the information? And this is the one that I think everybody needs the most work on because people will ignore the um, independently created uh, graphic that shows the bias of news organizations mm-hmm. and the idea that yes, NPR is slightly left, but that doesn't <laughs> mean <Slightly. laughs> that. Well, I mean that on this chart, it's slightly left. Uh, and like, so that doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means that it's biased slightly to the left. And we have to take that in consideration. And the ones that are slightly to the right doesn't mean that they're wrong. It just means that they're biasing a little bit to that direction. We have to take all of that with, uh, a grain of salt. So we'll look at something like that and be like, oh, that's wrong. No, no, that is an objective piece of data. So the quality of the information is where we need the most attention. So hearing and believing something that's different isn't making you woke, right? Mm. That's the one, like I wanted to slam my cousin's head against the counter the other day because he's like, oh, well, just because the doctors in the video are saying something uh, different than what we're being told every day, all of a sudden it's wrong. And I'm like, that is the, like, don't, smoke pot anymore. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you, 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 you broke something when you were doing that. So please don't do that anymore. Being woke, you know, if we're going to use that word is, is being able to judge the quality of the information and, and be consistent with how you use it to form a belief system. So while yes, we're all in this pursuit of the truth and like these secrets that everybody's like hiding from us because the, the system's broken. Like the real quality isn't finding these garbage pieces and sharing them. It's, it's, it's actually like vetting the stuff and like not thinking once but twice about everything that you come across because it's way too easy to manipulate you and everybody keeps proving that point over and over and over again it's way too easy to lie to everybody but again more on that on our blog we've got this whole thing on like trust thresholds and and such so you can check that out so that's enough of me i like this is gonna be a ranty episode i'm just (laughs) fired up today it's because i was on vacation for like three days Mm -hmm. i'm actually going to talk about that so in case you're tuning in for the first time, my blood pressure was elevated about two months ago. I had gained the COVID-19 from undisciplined eating and just an undisciplined life. Pretty unproductive during all of this. That was how I was kind of dealing with it. I was getting stuff done, but I was pretty much out of it, right? So I decided it was time to get some discipline. I dropped in some really tight control. I'm down about 15 pounds. So I finally crossed into the 20s. So I'm 229 now. I started around 245-ish like 244. Okay. So it, it we're, we're getting there. But another obstacle came up that we need to talk about. So we've talked about the mental health side of it and like how it's really just you're constantly wrestling your thoughts about what you should and shouldn't be eating and like when you'll be happy and all of that stuff. Another obstacle is the social obstacle, which is something that a lot of people aren't doing right now. So a lot of people are overeating right now because they're dealing with their emotions. They're eating yeah. their emotions away. But we used to go out and hang out with people and have like five drinks and then appetizers and dinner and all of that stuff. So you're crushing like 4,000 calories in one meal. And then that was just Friday. And then we got Saturday. And what about Wednesday? We're going to go hang out with our friends. So this whole social thing, it's really difficult to get a, a healthy meal from a restaurant. Right. You know? And so I had a little quarantine staycation here over the past few days. My friends from Chicago, mm-hmm. they were 
they've been like quarantining in their house. He's been working from home doing the whole thing. And she's a stay at home mom. Um, they decided that they wanted to come to Sargis back to the hometown. So they drove, um, in entirely in one go, oh, gosh. they stopped nowhere. They brought a camp toilet with them, then went off in the woods. He peed against a tree and then she peed in a camp toilet. The kid didn't pee the entire time. So I'm like, is her kidneys failing? Like what's going on? (laughs) And she was just like playing with her toys toys and stuff. So they drove the whole way. They then quarantined here for 10 days. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, great, come on over. So then they slept over for like three days because we normally go on vacation together. Right. So yeah, we're drinking all the time, like constantly throughout the day. And like, and then everybody wants to eat junk food. So then they're making cookies and zucchini bread and stuff like that. And it was rough. I mean, I've been eating so little that I was like filling myself up quite easily and eating way more calories than I was supposed to. So like, what do you do? What do you do in this situation? How do you handle this? Because I have no willpower. That's my thing. Like I'm one of those people that if there are 12 cookies that are like of high value, like if there's crappy cookies, I'm not going to dig in, but my (laughs) wife's cookies are like of high value to me. Right. And they're there. I'm going to eat them until they're gone. Right. Right. Like I'm not going to stop. And it's just one of those things is if I let the floodgate open, I'm just going to go for it. And so knowing that's the way, like getting it out of the house is the best. So really in this situation, I just had to, you know, repent for my sins. Like that was really it. So I did my normal workout during the week. So I'm doing like a strength training thing. But I on two of those days, I jumped on the treadmill and just like walked on an incline for 30 minutes just to do something to try to burn some extra calories. And then, you know, the past two days, I have been eating barely nothing because I don't have to because I'm full still from yeah. all that junk food that I ate. But um, I think that's an important thing to kind of consider is like what social situations are you putting yourself in when you're trying to achieve your nutritional goals and and how are they impacting your your gains we'll say you know Mm. so um i don't know if you have any thoughts or insight on that well you sound like you were handling this better than i do because when i (laughs) uh when i am trying to be really disciplined and i hang out with friends i really relax the discipline and I make it a point not to go overboard. I don't say to myself, okay, all bets are off just because I'm hanging out with my friends. Right. But you know, I'm going to get a drink and probably a second drink. If everyone else is ordering dessert, then I will too. If they're not ordering dessert, then I won't, you know, but I, I don't know when it comes to that situation, I'm just like, "Eh, you know, screw it. I'm, Mm -hmm. I, you gotta live, you know? And And that's the thing like that ends up sabotaging us. Like we, you know, I, I tackled before the idea of I'll be happy when I hit X goal or I, I, this thing happens is a way to like essentially punish yourself and saying, I'm not going to be happy. And then by you saying, well, I got, I got to live, I got to celebrate. And, and so, and that's fine. It's fine to do that. But we have to remember the flip side is that like, we have to, if we're going to be disciplined that and be undisciplined one day of the week, multiple days of the week, we have to then make up for it and compensate for it, which then could potentially change your kind of opinion on the whole thing. Well, that's know? a fundamental difference though. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if there's any update on the idea of type A and type B personalities, mm-hmm. but you mm-hmm. are very type A. No, I'm not. <laughs> yes, you are. Oh, you, yes, you are. <laughs> and you have a set goal, a time frame, and all that. So for you to like fall off of your discipline mm-hmm. wagon there, uh, you have to make up for it. Somebody like me, I'm like, eh, you know, that. so it's that's just one week further away from my goal that I am. What are you going to do? Right. And 
I don't think it's a terrible thing. Now, obviously, like if someone were to look at either of us, they would see that you clearly are more disciplined. I mm -hmm. have way more weight to lose than you do. Mm -hmm. But, you know, having struggled with my weight my whole life, I am at a point where on the one hand, I am certainly concerned about my health. But on the other hand, I also kind of feel like, well, you know, I'm halfway through my life, arguably, mm -hmm. you know. Right. So it it's not that it's not that being in shape isn't a priority, but also, uh, you know, if I'm hanging out with my friends, I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm not going to have this monkey on my back. It'll mm -hmm. be there tomorrow. It'll find me again. So I'm just going to enjoy myself. And like I said, not go completely crazy, mm -hmm. but also not, you know, like I'm not going to sit there because I, you know, I have like emotional issues <laughs> attached <laughs> to food. So I'm not mm -hmm. going to sit there and be all mopey mm -hmm. while everyone else is having like, yeah. you know, flan or a fudge brownie <laughs> sundae after a meal. I'm just mm -hmm. going to split a fudge brownie sundae with someone. I you know. know. And this is, and this is the tough thing. This is what it, and like. American food, of course, is these insane, insane the number of calories yeah, that these brutal. desserts have. It's like, <laughs> you ever see the Cheesecake Factory? Like, yes. Oh, oh my, my God. God. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> they have this one burger that is delicious. And it like the burger itself is not meat. It's a uh, mushroom cap. It's like a portobello mushroom cap. And yeah. I thought that was the healthy option. And then they started putting the calorie counts. What was it? It was over 1,300 calories. I was <laughs> like, that is a day's calorie intake yeah. in one me it not even yeah. the whole meal just that, the burger right and that won't even like fill you up because no. like that's complex carbohydrate a little bit of protein and then and and just simple carbohydrate yeah yeah and yeah and it's probably most of that calories <laughs> is in like away. the butter and the grease and stuff that's on there i know it's it is it's very difficult uh to do especially living in this country and again all the stuff going on so it's just kind of like food for thought like how do you how do you do that and again avoidance is what i works for me really well like we had a little barbecue with my in-laws and there was a lot of good food on the table and I just jumped in the pool because mm. like I ate my serving and I just like as far away as I could, I couldn't even clean it up or even have it in the house. Uh, because again, I'm like, oh, I'm just like, like a scavenger, like licking the plate and like, <laughs> you know, putting, smashing my, <laughs> my nose against the glass, just trying to eat everything. So no, we, we have to, we have to kind of take that part and like deal with that too. And, um, and so for me, it's, avoidance and it's extra exercise to make up for it. And then hopefully like I uh, cursing at myself the next day to hopefully get some better willpower the next time. LL Cool, cool. J. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Like that guy, you know, mm, I'm familiar. Said, no, you, uh, <laughs> right. So that guy, so, and he made fun of cannabis. I don't know why he did that, but anyway, that's a whole nother rap battle podcast. So mm. he uh, actually did this whole thing where he would put like high end desserts in a room with him mm -hmm. and he would just sit there and stare at it just to try to build the willpower. So that way when he was out with people, you could say no to those things. Cause he's like super svelte. Right. Yeah. Well, and so for sure. Yeah. So like, uh, so that's what he did. I couldn't, I would literally destroy the whole thing. I would, yeah. it's there. It's going to get eaten. So especially now that they have that like edible gold leaf or whatever, that's, <laughs> it's so fancy. Yeah. I'm so fascinated by it. So we're going to talk about pharmacy stuff now. So this is very relevant, of course, to the health and wellness space. We were just talking about the corruption in general of the health industries, right? And my overall position is that practitioners of medicine in this country get the shaft, right? We don't get compensated for our services. And then this isn't like the we're not getting rich enough conversation, right? This is we're literally not getting compensated for the things that we do, right? 
So what I want you to know and walk away from with this conversation is to separate the cost of medications. Because anytime I have a conversation with anybody about drug costs, they, they, they think that the cost is solely due to the manufacturers, right? There are two costs that need to be considered as, I guess, a human, because this is the same no matter where you are. There's the cost of the manufacturing of the drug and, of course, the supply chain to get it to you, right? And then we have the provision of the care, the pharmacist labeling the bottle, counting out the pills, double-checking the prescription, advising you, all of that stuff, right? So there are two separate and distinct costs. So in this country, if we want our drug costs to be less, what are we saying? Are we saying that we want our practitioners to not be paid for their service? Or do we say that the practitioners have a value and we want them to be paid? We just want these greedy MFers that make these drugs to stop charging $700 for a, a box of insulin. Seriously. Right? So that's what we're trying to say. And Trump signed a bunch of executive orders that are good for the the independent pharmacy groups, basically. Um, but one of them was a provision to say, we can get drugs from Canada. Yes. How disgusting of a concept is that? Canada has socialized medicine. So instead of us saying, let's fix our medical problems and go after these manufacturers, we're saying, go to the country that's figured it out. Yeah. How disgusting. That's an excellent point. It's disgusting. There are counties locally and unions locally that s send the medicines like the patients have to get their medicines from Canada, not from a local. So they're a state job, right? Or, or, or like a county job. And they can't even support a county business, a local business, because they have to get it from an entirely different country that does their medicine correctly. Like, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? So on the provision of care side, this is where the DIR fee comes in. All right, because unfortunately, the reimbursement for pharmacists is still tied. It's mishmashing this together. If I buy my drugs for cheap enough, I make more money. Right. And I don't think that's the way it should be. I should be paid a flat fee for every single prescription I fill because it's the same thing. Me filling your simvastatin or his simvastatin or a thousand dollar medicine or a two dollar medicine, I have to do the same thing. The the business costs so much to 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 have the software, the systems, the labels, the bottles, the 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 time uh, of a professional. It takes a certain amount of money. So just pay me a flat fee for right. that. And then let's all stop playing games with the price of drugs. And the DIR fee is one of the biggest games that we're going to play. So, mm. um, so I'm going to now introduce Benjamin Jolly. He's a pharmacist, a young snot. He is so impressive for his age. Really? Like so impressive. I actually told him that like, and I'm like trying, I'm like, don't tell me that you hate me, but I'm going to give you all of the advice because you seem so smart. So I want you to do what I should have done at 25, which was to start my blog and do all of this stuff. Like I'm going to teach you how to do all of that stuff because I think you should blow it up, man, because yeah. you're doing really good. So, so we're going to talk with him right now and we're going to talk about DIR fees. And I'm going to give you the, the whole education around it. All right, I'm here with Benjamin Jolly. We are going to tell you all about this awesome thing that we deal with as healthcare practitioners called the DIR fee. And it is the 55th anniversary of Medicare today. And we're going to trash the Medicare D-Law right now. So, uh, so Ben, thank you for coming. 
Thank you. This will be fun. This is going to be fun. This is going to be so much fun. Pharmacy Nerd Talk is great. So let's just start off because I did a whole episode uh, ahead of this so and around this. So, you know, everybody here's my rant about why I think everything sucks. So let's talk right about the like nuts and bolts of this DIR thing. So what does DIR even mean, Ben? Okay, so it's like the wonkiest term ever. It's direct and indirect remuneration. And what the That's heck not- does that even mean? Right. It's like, <laughs> I spell it out. It doesn't even mean anything even that. So um, what, what this is, is Medicare... Um, wants to know what, how much money all of their contractors are making. Okay. So they hire Express Scripts, they hire Cigna, they hire uh, United, they hire Humana to administer Medicare Part D plans. Right. Um, and they want to know where they're getting money from. Um, and so m- most of their money comes from premiums and subsidies from the government. But they cut deals with drug manufacturers to get rebates. They um, settle lawsuits. They get money there. And they charge fees to pharmacies to participate in their network um, or price reductions to pharmacies to participate in their network. And they collect money that way. And so the Part D plan has to report back to Medicare in a standardized format all of their direct and indirect remuneration, all the money they got from all of these other people that they got this money so that Medicare can say, okay, we expected to pay you uh, $5 million and you would make like a 5% margin. We paid you $5 million and you made a 20% margin. I'm going to need 5% of that back. Um, that, that's kind of the point of why Medicare is doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that, that's, that's the, the, the broad concept of DIR includes rebates for manufacturers to plans. To say, hey, you can get um, two different inhalers. Um, like my patients could get two different inhalers, but I'm going to cut a deal with the I don't know Simbacort people instead of the whatever Dulera people, um, and they'll cut me a check for fifty percent of what I what I pay out for that drug. They'll cut me a check back at the end of the year, and that would be DIR. That's the vast majority of all of the DIR in the system. But then the second largest bucket is what we're talking about, DIR fees to pharmacies. Okay. Um, and so these are, in essence, pay-to-play mafia fees. Um, <laughs> so like that, that's Straight up, that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, if you want to um, participate in a Medicare Part D network, you, um, have to sign, you have to sign a contract with the Part D plan sponsor and specifically with its pharmacy benefits unit. Mm-hmm. And um, the pharmacy benefits manager will set up a templated contract that's the same for everybody. You can maybe negotiate it if you're 50 miles from anybody else in the country um, and you're the only pharmacy in town. You can maybe negotiate it. But in any other circumstance, it's you take what they say or you leave it. Right. And, and that's an so, important thing that everybody needs to hear because a lot of the times in the media, there's this conversation that, the pharmacies negotiate with the PBMs and that isn't true. There's no negotiation that happens. It's impossible. 
If you say right. you negotiate like, hey, I, I don't like these rates, they say take it or leave it. And so it's either you care for your patients because a lot of the times, just like, you know, I'm going to get a little controversial, just like religion, it's very geographical. So the plans that are, you know, like in our neighborhood, it's because there's a, a lot of teachers or there's this huge factory and then this is the plan that they use. So if I want to serve my community, I have to take the contract for that plan no matter what, or I might as well just not even bother. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like my, my state public employee plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so like teachers, firefighters, policemen, all those, once they retire, um, they get on a Medicare supplement that's sponsored by my state's taxes. And, um, that plan is sponsored by Express Scripts. Yep. Uh, they're, they're, it's managed by Express Scripts, I should say, sponsored by the state. Thankfully, that plan does not take me take a DIR fee out of my pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they just charge me a transaction fee every time I bill a claim to them. They take twenty cents. Sure. They don't take the DIR fee, which for that same um, processing information is like seven dollars every time I every time I fill a script. They're gonna they're gonna say, okay, I'll pay you twenty bucks, and then six, and then a month later when they actually cut the check for the twenty bucks they will withhold $7 of it as their DIR fee. Right. So that's another important piece. So this idea that we don't negotiate uh, with any of these guys, we have to take these plans. So if we want to serve our Medicare patients in our community, there's a finite number of plans. There's maybe like 30 in my area or something like that, that I can sign up for. But if I don't, then they just have to go elsewhere and I can't care for them. And then the second thing is that what we're talking about with DIR is really just Medicare. So if you're under 65 or you're not on a Part D plan, this doesn't apply to you. But it is very important that everybody hears and understands this. And one of the things that you just said was this idea that they're, they'll take that money away at a later date. Correct. This week, actually, a week ago today, Caremark, who operates some of the largest Medicare plans in the country, Silver Scripts, um, they run the plan for WellCare, uh, they run the plan for Aetna. Like, that right there is probably, I don't know, 20 to 40% of the national market for Part D standalone plans. Right. And so you're, you're talking probably two, two to four out of 10 seniors are on this plan. Right. Um, and so those plans, they just released their, um, every four months they send out a report card to every pharmacy saying, hi, um, we are, this is how much we're going to take as our fees for the claims from January to April. Okay. So January, April this year, they just released how much they're going to take from you, um, out of your checks going forward. And so January to April claims, they're going to take, uh, 10%, 15%, whatever. And they, they give you this very long and complicated report card that makes no sense to anybody mm-hmm. unless they're me. Um, but um, it, it just says, okay, so we could take between seven and a half and nine and nine and a half percent of what we paid you for these drugs. Your score on this matrix that we developed was 76%. So that means we're going to take uh, 7.8% of what we paid you could be between seven and a half and nine and a half. Even if you perform perfectly on all of these metrics that we measure you on, we're still going to take seven and a half percent. 
if you don't perform at all on those metrics, we're going to take nine and a half percent. So, so a pharmacy technically could lower their DIR fees if they perform to some made up matrix. But I guess the important thing for people to understand is like, that's pretty difficult too. Like I've had friends that work their butts off. Like they have full-time people devoted to make sure that they hit all of these like criteria that these uh, benefits managers want them to hit and they still don't get it. And then they end up losing the money no matter what. And so it, like you said, mafia, it seems like a really rigged system, but really the weird part is, is that it even exists in the first place. Like, what is this taking fees back? It's, it's, you know, like, so can you talk about like just the broader picture stuff? Like, like, what do you, why did, why does this actually exist? Like, why, why don't they do this in another way? Um, and, and like, is there anything that, that like could change to make this better and more equitable, I guess? Sure. So what we've been talking right now about, the harms that this does to a pharmacy mm-hmm. because they think w- when they bill a claim, the amazing thing about pharmacy benefits uh, as opposed to medical benefits is that you bill a claim, you know, immediately how much money you're going to get paid. Right. Yeah. So if you have uh, the doctor's office, they, 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 you know, I always hear all the time, Oh, my card worked at my doctor's office. I'm like, well, no, it didn't because your doctor's going to build a claim and it might like hit them like a month later. And, and then they'll realize that they did something wrong or something didn't work. And then they'll reach out to you. And with pharmacy, it's instant. That's what we pay for. And that's okay. Like, I get that that's part of our fees, right? But right. with DIRs, it takes that and it, it completely throws it out the window. Right. It, it, it makes up makes the whole system screwed because they say they're going to pay you 100 bucks, but then they're going to take 20 back after the fact. When you're right. operating on a dollar margin on that prescription, that's the difference between making money and losing money. Right. right? Exactly. And, that, and so it completely breaks the pricing system right. for pharmacy. Right. And one of the things I said before you came on was this idea that we don't get compensated for our services. And like a lot of the times what this stuff is saying is we're not even getting compensated for the drug that we're giving you. So again, the two costs of drugs, it, uh, it's the drug itself and it's the provision of care. We want to get paid for the provision of care and the drug. And the these PBMs, these Medicare plans, they're not giving us enough money to cover the cost of the drugs, let alone the price to put it in a bottle, you know, or like count it or talk to you about it and make sure you don't die from it. Like all of those important things. Right. Yeah. And so anyway, so why do these fees exist specifically? So the reason is because the Medicare plans have figured out that they can make more money by doing it this way. Of course. Right. Right. Um, So it's a profit-based problem. Right. So the the reason for that is because, um, and there's going to be a lot of numbers here, so prepare yourself. Um, Oh, boy. So let's say that a drug, that the negotiated price between a pharmacy and a PBM for some drug is $100. Right. Okay? Um, The way that Medicare most Medicare plans figure out what copayment the patient is charged is based on um, either is based on usually a percentage of that negotiated price. Okay. Okay. Right. So, 10% or 20%. So if I go to the drugstore, right. it's a hundred dollar drug. I'll pay 20 bucks or 10 bucks or something like that. Exactly. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what they figured out though, is that if they charge these fees after the fact, those and they have some kind of performance matrix. 
um, to make it so they cannot figure out exactly how much this fee is going to be to the penny at the time that the claim is adjudicated, then those fees are not included in the negotiated price. Got it. And so instead of you paying 10%, um, so you pay your, your $10, 10% copay of the $100 item, but then six months later, the pharmacy benefits manager and, it, and the Medicare plan take back 16% of that from the pharmacy. Right. And so the real price at the end of the day was $84. Right. Right. And so your copayment should not have been $10. It should have been $8. Mm-hmm. And so the senior is, is therefore paying a higher share of the total cost than they should under the way that the plan is supposed it is designed by Medicare. Um, but because they set these fees in such a way that they can't estimate it at the, to the penny at the time of sale, um, that means that the senior therefore has to pay on this inflated negotiated price. So seniors are paying um, more and practitioners are getting paid less. Correct. Exactly. Um, and so that means that the Part D plan sponsor, the WellCare, the, the Cigna, whoever, they get to pocket more profit. Um, because, and, and to be frank, um, Medicare Part D standalone plans mm-hmm. do not make a ton of money just from the regular administration fees, which is why they go to this extreme measure of having these crazy fees. Right. Like the, the estimated actuarial value of a single life is like 50 bucks a year is their profit margin. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to have a lot of scale to make that make sense, to build the computer system, to hire the people to determine whether you should cover this drug or that drug. Right. And well, in our broken the- system, that's what it would require. But if everybody was the same, as kind of a lot of people would make the argument, and there would be no need for a profit at that tier, right? It, mm-hmm. it seems like it would, it would be a, a better system. I mean, if, if we had Medicare for all with one formulary for everybody, yeah, we could, we could fire a whole bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, make them do other it's stuff. A lot I don't less know. <laughs> so, well, uh, may, maybe what we, we can do is we can have them work for the DEA and their customer support line or something like that, because it's like a four hour on hold if you have to call the DEA. So yeah, maybe they can, we can reallocate some people. We'll, we'll employ all of the millions of people that work <laughs> for part and yes, as DEA call centers people. <laughs> so, so one of the things that happens and I won't keep you for too long. I just figured we could do like a 20 minute thing here. Uh, so when I, I teach people about this, like consumers, because a lot of pharmacists are kind of ignorant to this whole thing. I actually intentionally was ignorant to this. I didn't want to get stressed out about all of this stuff. So I just ignored it. So now I have the ability to get transparency. Benjamin helped me out. So now we've got this transparency and it's actually way worse than I thought it was. Uh, one of the examples, I think I gave this one where it's like the, the drug cost a buck and then they take an $8 and 75 cent fee no matter what. So it's actually cheaper for me to just give the pills away and then even talk to the Medicare plan. Right. And so there's lots of different examples about how horrible this can be. So I, I teach people this because it's important that they understand how broken the system is. But then the second thing that they say to me is like, is like, what can I do? Right. Uh, and actually technically the second thing is, is, well, are you going to sell your store? Because obviously it's obvious to a lot of people that this isn't a sustainable business. And I, mm-hmm. I, I used to have 
four pharmacies or three pharmacies and four stores total. And um, I sold one, closed another, and now I've just got this one. And uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I get that gut feeling like, is this thing going to last? And I'm just hoping that my vitamin world blows up so I don't even have to care how much we're losing in the pharmacy so I can keep this, this drugstore going, right? But the most asked question, though, is always like, what can I do? And so do you have any suggestions for that? Okay, so here's the one policy change that would kill these fees. Okay, change the definite, like Medicare even proposed doing this, Mm -hmm. and then all the plan sponsors freaked out, and they're like, no, you can't do that. Um, So Medicare proposed to change the definition of that negotiated price. Okay. Okay, that $100 to be the lowest amount that the pharmacy could receive under a performance contract which would be, in this case, $84. Right. Which would mean that then the pharmacy would see $84 at the point of sale, mm-hmm. and then if they if they performed well on this matrix, they would get a bonus, right? Okay. Um, and then the senior would pay, instead of paying their $10 copay, they would pay their $8.40 copay. Okay. So, like, a year ago, Medicare was talking about, okay, we're going to change the definition of negotiated price be the lowest price that the pharmacy could get paid under this contract. Mm-hmm. Okay. That would fix that. Like DIR fees would be gone. It would not be a thing anymore. Um, it's a fairly simple change, but it's also a pretty dramatic one because it cuts right to where part D plan sponsors are making money. Right. Uh, and we can't stand in the way of people making money, especially large corporations. Yeah. I mean, that's really the, the issue here. So heaven forbid, um, <laughs> But th- that is that's how you fix this specific issue. Right. There's there's bunches of other issues that really need to be dealt with in the Medicare space. Mm-hmm. But like, if we want to fix that part, pretty simple. Change yeah. the definition. Be the lowest price that you could receive. That's the negotiated price. That's where the senior gets their money. That's what you transmit on the claim. Everyone everyone's happy, except that now they're realizing that they're losing money at the point of sale. Right. Uh, so, so they're just. So access to care falls dramatically across the country. So what I would say, like, that's the, the fix. So then what can people do? And I, I would suggest if there's an independent pharmacy in your community, even if you don't go there, I would get on their mailing list or their contact list and ask them, like, how you can help with this. Because this DIR thing, as we said, affects independent practitioners, which lowers the standard of care if we all go away. And then, two, it affects you, the Medicare person, even if you go to some mega corporation like a chain pharmacy. So be in a close relationship with your independent pharmacy if you don't choose them first already. And then if they announce, hey, it's time to talk about this issue because it's become a legislative focus for us, then you call, you make the phone call to your representatives and tell them that the current system is broken and it needs to get fixed on that specific issue. So that's how I normally do it too. That's exactly it. Yeah. That's how we get the change to that rule is we just, we pressure legislatures, Mm -hmm. legislators and we pressure CMS. Yeah. They listen to voters. Like when it's 500 independent pharmacists screaming, they don't really listen to us. Yeah. If it's, 5,000 people screaming because mm-hmm. each of those people, each of those pharmacists had 10 of their friends call. They listen a little more. Yeah. Right. With, without a doubt. Yeah. And that's how we've been getting stuff changed here in New York. So I definitely think that that's what you should do. So Dana, you're every woman. So do you have any questions or comments about this whole thing? 
No questions, but certainly as far as a comment goes, like, oh, this is robbery, man. This <laughs> system is such garbage. And uh, it, I mean, it's a mafia protection thing, man. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's horrible. And, uh, you know, a lot of young kids are coming out of pharmacy school and they're like, I want to open a pharmacy. No, no, you don't. This is the <laughs> worst time to do it. Uh, take supplement school and I'll teach you how to open yeah, a, you a wellness <laughs> practice where you don't have to deal with any of this nonsense. And uh, so, yeah, I think that I agree with you. Like your take on it, I think is pretty, uh, pretty good there. It's, it's robbery. It's, it's broken. It's messed up. And like, it's like, what do we do? Like, well, we have to fix a lot of stuff. And again, Benjamin will come back on and we'll talk about other, cause he's a really smart dude. He knows a lot of the stuff uh, about the behind the scenes and, I think it's important that when we learn about this stuff, we take it in pieces too, because it is such a confusing, broken system mm. that we can't just get all at once because then our heads will explode. So, yeah, that was that. that was very succinct. Thanks for <laughs> spelling that out because this is new to me. Yeah. Like I was telling Neil before, mm-hmm. but yeah, that was definitely interesting. And now I am pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> She's burning stuff. I've done my job. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Benjamin, thank you so much. We appreciate it, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks, Neil. Thank you, Benjamin. If you're into chatting with Ben and having his awesome brain help you out with DIR fees as a pharmacy owner, email dir.consulting2019 at gmail.com. Bro, update your email. Come on. <laughs> like you're getting big bucks now. You got to get your own domain. All right. <laughs> so with all of this being said, I want to just add one more thought. I actually posted this on, I think, one or more of our social channels because I was just kind of commenting on this and then we're going to go for the day. So so I think that the way out for America is threefold. So first and foremost, we have to understand that healthcare costs are going to be high because we're an unhealthy population, okay? We're going to have high costs until 20 years from now after proactive, widespread, preventative measures to make our country healthier have started and have been done, right? So you out there listening work with me to get ahead of this curve and help lower the number of unhealthy people right now, right? So start that work now so we don't add to the problem later. The second thing is we have to get power over these manufacturers, right? It's time just in general that we stop with the war crimes against humanity for profit. Medicine needs attention and we need to stop building in this like middlemen profit centers with these silly Medicare laws and stuff that we've done over the time. And instead we have to simplify the system. And finally, Pay the damn practitioners, doctors, nurses, pharmacists. We've had to aggregate into these mega corporations. There's no independent doctors anymore. Dr. Randy Rissman was on the podcast talking about this, right? You've heard that. We have to do this because of this nonsense. So we've turned our world into a bigger and bigger mega corporation, right? There's one doctor's office, one company that rules your entire district or region anymore. It's horrible, all because of this nonsense. And our practice of medicine in this country is poorer than others. Our metrics are worse. So we have to pay our practitioners a proper fee so that way they can not only be encouraged to go to medical school, but then they get out and they want to compete to be the best practitioners and get the most business, right? We want that. We, I'm not okay with capitalism. I'm just not cool with this crony capitalism stuff, right? If I was getting paid the same as CVS for any prescription, I would win. And that's the problem. They've rigged the system because they were losing to places like us. We gave better service. More people chose us. And then the middlemen got involved and this is where we are. So the provision of care side of the discussion 
does better, in my opinion, of course, when independent practitioners in the community are allowed to practice and thrive. And so if we want medicine to be better in this country, we got to stop all this stuff, right? So we got to address the cost, but let's stop hurting our practitioners and instead go after these silly mega corporations, right? And I also believe that if we invest this money in our medical system, yeah, it's more cost now, but it's going to be lower cost over time. And it's not going to impose any freedoms, even though like theoretically, yes, by increasing taxes or changing taxes or changing the structure, it is a, uh, a reduction of freedom. People will have more freedoms if they don't have these restrictions caused by this greedy capitalistic system. If, imagine if you didn't have to worry about what job you had for your healthcare and you can just go in anywhere. People would be opening businesses left and right. So I think that the path forward is threefold. And I think it has to do with us reevaluating what's important and stop this greedy stuff and pay our practitioners. So that's it for today. End of my pharmacy mini rant after my COVID mini rant and my, you know, eating like a, a slob mini rant. So I, I want to appreciate you. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, keep listening, keep learning and be well. <laughs>